Hello listener, thanks very much for tuning in to the Hamden Roar podcast. I'm the creator and host Andy Barge and I promise I'll stop going on about this soon, but just a quick heads up if you're not aware, my book Charting Scotland's Return to a Major Tournament is on sale now with Pitch Publishing. It's called A Nation Again and it's the inside story of our journey back to the Euros beginning with Gordon Strachan leaving and culminating with the shootout in Belgrade and it covers everything in between. I spoke to more than a dozen members of the squad and the staff to build this story using their memories and it's on sale now on Pitch's website and at places like Amazon, Waterstones and WH Smith etc so I hope if or when the time is right then you're happy to give it a go and reminisce about what was a pretty turbulent but ultimately successful era for the national team as we found our way back to a major tournament so thanks for listening and enjoy this episode It slightly favours the right footer here but Griffiths having got the goal goes again Welcome to what is sure to be a magnificent hand and roar podcast. We're here to not reflect on a brave but ultimately disappointing result against Spain. We're here to reflect on a magnificent 2-0 controlled victory against the Spaniards at Hamden. A double from Scott McTominay makes it two wins from two in our group for Euro 2024 qualifying. And here to chat about it, John Bleasdale, author of Scotland's Swedish Adventure, Gordon Shear from the Tartan Scarf and Alan Risk from the Air Force One Twitter page. A bumper victory calls for a a bumper panel, I think. We've upped it from the two to the three for this one. We'll come to you first, John. Your your son was a, a mascot last night. What a night to to get it. And just your brief reflections on the game. I'll, I'll go around you all. Yeah, I mean, where do you start? I mean, it was just a tremendous experience the, the whole night. I mean, it would have been a good experience for Callum being the mascot first and foremost. And you know, it was a great time. Um, he got the Spain kit, which meant he got to walk it with Scotland play, which was fantastic. Um, and, you know, I think Grant Hanley got um, a bit of confidence just walking out with my boy, I'd like to think. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. I'd said in the group chat I was confident um, that we would get a draw in this game. Um, I never thought for one minute we would win as well as we did. You know, to win the game 2-0 and, as you said at the top of the podcast, to do it in a controlled manner. But for a 10, maybe 15 minutes we were in the first half, I thought we'd control the whole game. Gordon, you were... There, courtesy of Tenants Lager, I believe. You're not too big time for the hand and roar now. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Of course, I did obviously have my uh, Scotland Sports Club seats, uh, which I was gladly able to pass on to, to a colleague and her dad so they could come and enjoy the game as well. Um, yeah, wow. As, as, as John said there, uh, what a night. What a night under the lights. I've been reflecting back, uh, consulting the notes, consulting my spreadsheet, my big bumper spreadsheet of every Scotland game I've ever been to. Last night was number 61 for Scotland's men's A-team. Never seen a game like that. Never seen a result like that. Never seen a performance like that. I remember saying before the game, I said to, I think I said to John when I saw you before the game, I said to a couple of people, last night was the kind of game that if we played the team, the opponent on the pitch, I felt like we had a good chance. And I felt like if we played the reputation of Spain, the elite level Spain, European world superpower, we had no chance. And I think we went out there with a plan, with a game plan. We played the opponent as they were on the pitch. And 
I think, I, I don't know about you guys, but the thing that I found probably most pleasing in the game last night is that we are a horrible team to play against. Like, if you're any opposing team coming to Hamden to play us, it just must be a miserable evening. I mean, you look at what you're up against, like every high ball from Angus Gunn, who, whose distribution, by the way, was fantastic throughout. Every high ball, you're in a heavyweight boxing fight with Lyndon Dykes in the air. You've got the ball in your defence. John McGinn's on you like a rash, nipping at your heels every opportunity. Mag- uh, Tierney was noising people up. Porches was noising people up. Hickey, just the level of shits in our team, just beautiful, but brilliant. Talented, talented, beautiful shits. And it was great. <laughs> Is that, what you've, is that what you've been saying to your infant daughter recently, Heather? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan, we had a, we, actually, we actually had time to meet up for a quick pint after the game last night, and and we were talking about how how good the crowd were in comparison to the Cyprus game of the weekend. I think we should probably address that first and foremost. If, if anyone tuned into the post Cyprus pods, we, we wondered why the, the crowd were maybe quite flat throughout. Maybe we didn't feel like they. They were relying on us to help them through the game um, at home to Cyprus. That that might impact it. But from first moment to the last against Spain, the, the place was absolutely absolutely bouncing. Early goal obviously helps that, but but it was it was pretty noisy. And I think the fans did a great job last night for the team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, obviously, I listened to that podcast on the way to the stadium, and it was one of my first thoughts. But even walking down through Govan Hill, you could hear. Absolutely everyone was up for it. The Vicky Bar was absolutely bouncing. Get down to Queen's Park, Church on the Hill, um, Malone's, the crowds, walking from the shed. Um, it's, it was a proper, proper good atmosphere. Um, I mean, I think where we were, I was in the West Stand, um, and it was, I can't remember even, there was maybe one or two occasions we paused for breath, but it was just song after song after song. It wasn't just the same McGinn song or... Um, the national anthem, you had everything. Um, I think one of the favourites was Doa Deer, and that was yeah, sung to its death. So it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant night. And to be involved in that, and I missed the Denmark game, um, being at sea. Um, and I heard I was at the Israel game, so I had that high. You guys obviously had the Denmark game after that. I think you also missed it, Andy. I think you yeah, were I missed that. So I was gutted about that. So to be involved tonight um, and to experience that, oh man, like yeah. Incredible. John, I suppose they'd end of the conversation of Scott McTominay at right centre-half. There's absolutely no question. It's not even up for discussion anymore. Um, I mean, it worked um, in patches for a bit, but the bottom line is he's a central midfield player and a very good central midfield player. He's proven that Man United, okay, he's maybe not had as many games recently because of the former Casemiro, um, but his form for Scotland in midfield recently has been superb. I mean, he was man of the match against Ukraine at Hamden um, back in September. He played well against Ireland there. Um, and then in the game, uh, no, he came on um, to great effect at the weekend. And last night, he was just um, absolutely superb. I mean, <laughs> he's actually scored 80% of our goals this campaign already after <laughs> just two games, which is incredible. But I mean, that second goal that he scored, I mean, don't underestimate how good a strike that is with his weaker left foot and on the volley as well. I mean, he did very well to control that and get it through and into the net. It's a terrific goal. Tied into that, though, Gordon, would be how good Porteous has been since he's come into the, the team. I think Jack Henry's probably got a fight on his hands now to, to get his place back at right centre-half. That's Porteous with three games 
three clean sheets, two of them away to Ukraine and at home to Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Porteous is someone who I absolutely want to massively sing the praises of, you know, and I think as well, like, you know, he's, he's just turned 24 years old as well. It was obviously, it was, it was his birthday on Saturday, but yeah, he has come into that defence for Scotland, um, obviously making your debut in the away game in Ukraine in Poland at the end of the Nations League when the pressure was massively on us to win that group to to get the playoff in the bag. He excelled in that game and yeah, coming into these two these two fixtures at the beginning of the campaign, he's been phenomenal. Um, obviously, he made the move in January. He went down to Watford, seems to have settled in straight away down there, scored in his debut. And yeah, I've just been phenomenally impressed with him. So vocal. I think he was speaking after the game about how he's probably given his uh, defensive teammates a migraine with how much he's been mm. shouting at them and how vocal he's been and how much a leader he's been. But we've got a team full of leaders. Um, and yeah, just... Phenomenally impressed with 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 everything Ryan Porteous did, and frankly, everything the, the entire back three did. You know, the as much as Spain had plenty of plenty of possession last night, it was all in wide positions. There was lots of balls into the box. I never, you never felt greatly concerned that we were going to get caught out because the defense dealt with almost everything pretty comfortably. Yeah, forced them wide, and then trust Hanley, Porteous, and, and Tierney to to deal with the balls when they come into the box. It, it worked an absolute treat, Alan. How far back would you have to go for a result as as impressive as this? I'm going to caveat that briefly here um, by running you through the majority of the Spain team last night. They, they made a lot of changes from the team that comfortably beat Norway. I think eight in total. Just an example, some of the teams that were represented by the, the Spanish starting eleven last night were Espanyol, Osasuna, Real Sociedad, Villarreal, Atletico Bilbao, uh, Tottenham, uh, Valencia and then Danny Ceballos Real Madrid started Rodri started uh, Man City and Kepa of Chelsea the rest, the rest of the players are just kind of a, of, a, of a strong La Liga level does that dilute this at all for you when you when you think of what Spain were or, or are you still keeping your, your glass full to the brim not even just half full uh, no the glass is full to the brim I mean um, I think on a, we just watched them. Obviously, you can have your own take on the, the Norway game, but um, they beat Norway 3 0. Um, the first 15, 20 minutes of that Norway game, they completely dominated. Um, got ahead early, managed to settle. Of course, Norway came back, but um, they managed to get those two goals and make it quite a comfortable victory in the end. Um, Spain aren't going away. They're, they're, yeah, they're a team in transition, but I think it was more that it was, I mean, it, it's probably disrespectful to make that many changes and come to Hamden. Um, and I think as soon as I've seen the lineup, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of saying there's about four or five players in that team that I've not watched um, in the starting lineup for Spain. Um, and I looked at them and thinking, well, Scotland are such a settled team that it's going to be difficult for them. Um, obviously, if they, if they get off the start like they did against Norway, then different game. But the fact that we got the early goal, um, which I didn't see because I was still queuing up outside, um, <laughs> I'd have my pint. I, I had my pint till it was totally my own fault. I mean. Um, I had my I had my last pint too late. I thought I'll sneak one more at about twenty past. Um, started queuing up at about I don't know thirty seven, and then uh, I got I got in probably about eight minutes in, nine minutes in. So it was my, totally my own fault. Um, but uh, we could hear it. And a guy had it in his phone behind me, and I thought that's I was getting the goal so early, settled us down, maybe worried Spain a little, uh, and forced them. And to maybe change their game plan a bit, but no, no. The Spain, the, the Spain team is is brilliant. Um, obviously, they brought on. I think there's still the only Barcelona player they brought on was later on. Um, but I mean, even they brought, that, they brought on they brought on Gabby of Barcelona, 
Borja Iglesias yeah. and Betis, Aspas of Celta Vigo, Danny Carvajal of Real Madrid, and Nico Williams, who I thought was very bright actually when he came on the right winger, yeah. uh, the youngster from Athletic Bilbao. So yeah, I mean it's it's a strong, it's not the Spain renew, still a strong squad there. Um, guys, wh- where would yeah. this rank then? Best results since France two thousand and seven, maybe. We've we've yeah. beaten Croatia and Denmark in that time frame. We've had a good draw away to England at the Euros. Is it the best since France two thousand and seven? Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would certainly say so. Simply because you look at the look at the caliber of where France were at that time. You know, certainly when we beat them at Hamden, they were only three months away from having competed in the World Cup final. You know, and finishing runner up behind Italy. So to beat them was incredible, and then arguably to do it again potentially even more incredible. Obviously, the the ones you you think about post that you've got home and away wins against Croatia when the when the group was already gone uh, the win against Denmark you've always got the slight caveat that Denmark had already won the group so they had really nothing to play for they were going for a 100% record in the group so uh, yeah th- this one is it, it is a statement victory against an elite level opposition in the early stages of a group where it's really important you know there's no <laughs> there's, there's no uh, no slacking there and no caveats attached to it and, and look I think you're you're right to flag up that this isn't the Spain that that they were. This isn't the Spain of winning three major finals, major finals tournaments in a row. But this is this Spain team has still been an absolutely relentless machine when it comes to qualifying games. The stat that blew my mind: they've lost seven out of their last 146 qualifying matches for Euros and World Cups. You know that is we'll make it eight now, but that, that's just that's frightening. That's really, really frightening. But we turned them over. And not only did we turn them over, well, we turned them over pretty comfortably. That's, that's, that's the thing, Gordon. We've got a message in the, the mentions here from Bernard Adam, John, who says the France win was a smashing grab uh, from set piece with Caldwell and then Faddy, wonder strike from 30 yards. Smashing grab against a top-class side. This was a fairly poor Spain team, but we deserved to win, outfought them and looked dangerous every time we went forward. Yeah, I mean, you can say it's a poor Spain team. You've rained off a good number of clubs. It's a quite high caliber level. You know, at the end of the day, um, we've got guys um, in the team who played the English Championship in that squad as well. Yes, there's a lot of Premier League players, but also that's Spain's fault um, because Spain underestimated us. They thought, oh, we can make it changes and it'll be fine, but they didn't. They totally underestimated us. Um, what makes this victory more impressive for me is um, yeah, the mention says there. Um, the France game was, as you say, a smashing grab. We rode our luck big time. It was last night, we, you know, for, apart from a 10, 15 minute spell in the first half, we were completely the better side. You know, and we put, I mean, people have this misconception of Clark that it's all, um, it, you know, it's all defensive minded football. We play football at times. There was, a, there was one um, occasion last night where Spain um, put five players to try and presses and we passed our way around it. It was, it was great to watch. Alan, if, if Rodri was going to moan about the rhythm of the match being disrupted, his team probably shouldn't have tried passing the ball straight out of the park so many times, should they? Oh, I, I was um, I was standing next to uh, this guy and his boy, both Kelly fans, and um, he kept on turning to me because it got to the point where it happened six or seven times in the second half. But I mean, that also comes down to the pressure that we were putting them under because obviously 1-0 down, 2-0 down, they're really under pressure to get a goal quickly. Um, inexperienced, well, I say inexperienced, they've all played, they're playing at a high level, um, high pressure games in La Liga, but um, up against a solid Scotland team who are playing narrow, who are not giving them any space, forcing them wide because we want them to play there. Um, so even when they're going there, they're thinking we have to try something different. And 
they're maybe overthinking it, they're putting the ball out of play. It's, it was all us that caused their mistakes. So as much as you can, as much as a few people might say, oh, well, they were misplacing passes, you don't do that unless you're under pressure. Um, whether that's physical pressing on a guy coming up right against you or whether you're just mentally thinking, how the hell are we going to get past this team? Um, yeah, I, think, I think I think I think I think Alan that 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 is exactly where the first goal comes from, isn't it? And again, that that's the thing that becomes so pleasing to see is that we didn't just take kick off and then retreat into our own half and let them keep it and let them build and and wait for them to come and attack us. We picked our moments at the right times to press and harry, and the fact that that comes from Andy Robertson, our left wing back, right up on their fullback and yes he slips on the pitch but he slips because he's under so much pressure and McTominay's there uh, Robertson's there to take advantage quickly also again look, look in the replay just how quickly McTominay reacts as well as soon as Robertson gets on that ball McTominay is on his bike burst of pace to get into the right place to take the shot so yeah that level of controlled aggression and picking your moments of when to press and when to win the ball and when to harry and when to force mistakes was a, a, a theme throughout the game yeah, John, I can remember off the top of my head three moments from of transition from deep. Uh, Keaton Tierney's assist for, for McTominay's second goal. That unbelievable run and then drop of the shoulder to beat Carvajal. Absolutely sensational. Uh, the one that Christie turned over the ball in midfield and then ran forward. And I, I think, did he toe-bash his shot? It, it didn't look like he caught it very cleanly um, and, it, and it kind of trickled just wide. And the other one, McGregor, in the last seconds of the game. Wow, the way that he rode that challenge in the halfway line and then got the ball to, to Shangland, who, who couldn't quite get enough power in his shots. But yeah, the, the, the transitions from us, they, they looked a, a lot more menacing uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the Christie one, I think he was trying to go with the outside of his left foot to um, curl it round into the corner, but he didn't quite get the technique right. Um, you know, that was a really good opportunity, Christy. There's the thing about our team, you know, we've dressed, Stuart Armstrong had a good game on Saturday and we bring in Ryan Christie for him and he puts in that performance. So it just shows the strength and depth. But yeah, the the transitions was good. There was also the um, the one at the end of the first half where um, Pantaline Villain Poro um, puts in a poor cross and we um, do the counter from there and also led to the Dykes chance. And see when um, Dykes put that over, I, I feared that was the big moment of killing the game off going, but Obviously, it didn't matter then, thank goodness. What I do know, and you'll have to start thinking about this before you start, yeah, genetically, we're behind. We're the, we're the last campaign, we're the second smallest, apart from Spain. So that means we have to pick a team tonight that kind of try and combat the height and strength even at that we couldn't combat the height and strength at set place so genetically we'll have to work at things I don't know we get big women and men together see what we can do um, but it is a problem for us because we have to fight harder for every ball and jump higher than anybody else because it's easier for these kind of guys mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Speaking of Andy Robertson a minute ago, Gordon, lucky to avoid a red card. I was worried for him for a second. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think again, it, it probably speaks to, like I said, that, that added level of self-confidence inside the self-esteem, the fact that we are now a team that are, that are willing to stand up for ourselves and not be bossed around and not be pushed around. It's maybe a silly thing that he certainly does. He throws his shoulder into Poro. Um, as he's coming into him, Poro absolutely makes the absolute most of it possible. I mean, I'm fortunate enough. I've when I've been at games recently, I've been able to sort of like whip out via play on my phone and actually be able to get replays as it's happening. So and it's always handy when they're doing VAR checks. I can sometimes, like I remember the the Republic of Ireland one. I could tell you it's a stonewall penalty before they gave it because I'm I'm able to see the replay. Um, and I remember looking at it and thinking, I really just don't think there's anything in that. A yellow card's probably fair but they, they they did try and make the absolute most of it but again that speaks to it speaks to just how rattled we had them that right through the first half you've got their players throwing themselves in the deck to try and win penalties exaggerating contacts to try and get guys sent off and you're like that's the level of desperation you're reaching against Scotland like that's really poor like <laughs> that we've got in your heads that badly it was that boy hustle at the end of the first half you know the, the hissy bits he was throwing about you know it was um <laughs> you know, it was it was ridiculous. It was like a boy having um, his to- his favourite toy taken away from him, and you know, I, I'm surprised the referee didn't book him for it. He, hopefully, the referee just said to him, "Listen, calm it, calm yourself down, because I don't want to book you for something stupid like that." But yeah, that showed how rattled we had them. I'll come to you first on this, Alan, but feel free to to chip in, guys. For a while, I think we've we've had the notion that Patterson is the first choice and best right wing back available to us thought Hickey was absolutely sensational last night is it a toss up between the two I think I think we're at such a, a good position right now um, that you could start either of them and it wouldn't matter really um, I think see when see when Hickey went off against Cyprus and we brought on Patterson I, I was never I remember a time when we only had one I love O'Donnell, um, but one right back who, who's competent, who we could trust to come on the park and, uh, and, and obviously get us forward or at least put in a solid defensive performance. So to have two forward-thinking right wing-backs is is like incredible. Um, obviously more when you include the likes of Ralston, etc. But uh, it's just, Hickey, Hickey was brilliant last night. I think there was a, a stage in the second half where he won two or three headers off his own balls. Um, so he was winning headers. I think ha- ha- playing alongside Porteous must be brilliant for him because um, Porteous is always also forward thinking. Um, I think he played uh, out of the defence, he was playing passes in the final third more often than not. And then um, having those guys alongside you, um, those absolute monsters in defence um, it can only make Hickey better and more confident to push forward and I think you saw that in the stats I think it was marginal but we actually attacked more up the right hand side than we did up the left which you would think that's no that can't be the case because we've got Robertson and Tierney we did um, obviously you had McGinn up that right side as well um, 
And again, Spain, when they were attacking, they attacked more tour. Obviously, they had their right backs, Carvajal and, um, and Porto. Um, but they were attacking Robertson and Tierney and not Hickey um, as often. Um, so, I mean, that shows you how strong um, both sides of our, of our, um, our fullbacks are. I think, I think as well, guys. I think you know when you, when you consider that we now we now live in a world in a footballing world of five subs. You know, you see a lot of coaches now almost sort of taking the approach that you often see in rugby that you have your you don't think of people as substitutes, you think of them as stars and finishers. And I think that's where having two guys like Hickey and Patterson massively comes into its own because I mean, like Alan, like you're saying, it doesn't necessarily matter who starts because the second one can come on and finish the game. You know, I think I think we probably agree that Patterson is probably the better attacking fullback, you know, given the fact he's right footed, he probably gives our attack better balance. Hickey has been phenomenal in these two games, absolutely brilliant. So if you can treat the situation like, you know, you can you can have Hickey for the first 55 minutes and then depending on how the game's going if you need someone to suddenly stretch the game and make it big you bring on Patterson and that would absolutely terrify most teams you know that that's a phenomenal tactical card for Steve Clark to be able to pull so I think you almost don't think of them as individuals you can think of them as as a as a rotating pair it's a it's a really great place to be it's it's absolutely tremendous um, having um, two right backs again um, you know that's no harm on well, Steve McDonnell who did a very competent shift for, for years, but even he recognised that Patterson um, is um, on another level and so is Hickey. Um, and on the left side, you've also got um, the Tierney Robertson debate. In fact, look at who's um, not made this squad. Greg Taylor missed out in this squad and Josh Doug still can't get in it. No, it's great to see we've got competition on the side because last time we played Spain at home, our full-backs that day were Phil Barsley and Stephen Whitaker. I think we've come on a good bit since then. <laughs> we've got a couple of people in the mentions let me just find it here it was particularly uh bomsky 1000 is the username saying thoughts on points required for qualification nothing like getting ahead of ourselves we but let's do it anyway uh, from euro 2020 of the five team groups the average points of third was 12.8 which should suggest 14 could be enough so if we beat cyprus away and georgia at home then we'd need two or three more points from the other four fixtures. Uh, come to you on this one, Gordon. We have Norway away before Georgia at home in June. We are set up well. Absolutely. We we are absolutely set up well. And I think now you're you're right. It, it is in a way it's probably too early to start counting our points. But you know, in another way, we are we are twenty five percent of the way through the group now, you know, which is which is incredible. <laughs> you know, it's only only eight games this time. So every game counts and every game arguably counts even more. And I think especially when you consider that obviously Norway dropped points in Georgia, you probably look at the group now and think, beat Georgia at home, beat Cyprus away, that puts us on 12. And then if you take a positive record out of the two games against Norway, we've done it. There's just no two ways about it, especially considering you know we're in a group now that top two qualify automatically and we've got the playoff in the bag if we don't finish. So obviously we're first and we're top of the group right now, but that's not the only automatic qualification place we can still finish second. So... Yeah, I'm phenomenally optimistic now about where we are. Obviously, going away to Norway next is a massive game, especially if they've got Erling Haaland back playing for them. But we are already five points ahead of them. So I think now we're in a position where we can probably go to Norway and take take a draw there, beat Georgia. And I think we've got a foot and a half in Germany. <laughs> wow. We have, uh, we have Glenn Schroeder in the mentions, kind of ties into what we were talking about a minute ago. Was that our best starting 11 
Gordon, you mentioned starters and finishers. Do, do we have a best starting 11 at the moment? Is it very much uh, circumstantial about who plays and who comes on, de- depending on, on what's happening? John? That's the thing, because, um, you know, it's almost like a game-by-game basis. You, you you can't legislate for who's going to be injured and suspended. Like, would Lyndon Dykes have started last night had she Adams um, not picked up an injury Saturday? Probably not, especially given Dykes' recent lack of game time through his uh, unfortunate illness. Um you know, as we, as you mentioned, Ryan Portis might not have started to Jack Henry not being injured. Um, so I think it's... Uh, Glenn's got a good point, you know, um, in, in raising that question. Is it our best start lineup? You don't know because, again, we mentioned um, Armstrong had a good game on Saturday, but then Ryan Christie comes in and puts in a terrific performance. So then which one of those two do you go with um, for the, the Norway game? Um, Gordon, I like, I like how you say um, <laughs> take a draw in Norway. I hate that um, that expression, <laughs> you know. Um, I really hate the a draw will do approach. No, yep. let's try and win the game. Absolutely, uh, you know, um, a draw would be a decent result, but no, we've got to try, go there and try and win the game. Let's get a signature away result like we did in Austria. Yep. No, 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 you're, you're, you're absolutely right, John. Absolutely right. Um, I, th- I think just, just my, 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 my sort of two toppings on the sort of the general squad, like, I think the greatest strength we have right now is we have a very, very deep, settled squad that are all super experienced and have all played together for a very long time. So it doesn't actually necessarily matter who the starting 11 is, like like John's saying, because if one guy's injured, we've got someone else who can come straight off, who knows exactly what they're doing, who fits into the team, who's got plenty of experience of playing at this level. I mean, I did a bit of digging the other day and I pulled out the squad list of Steve Clark's first game in charge. His first game is for Cyprus and Belgium in June 2019. And I was able to find the screenshot of the the squad list that the Scottish FA put out because they put out uh, player names, list of caps, list of goals for their country. In that squad, there was one player who had more than 30 caps in the squad. And that was Charlie Mulgrew, who was, I think, 33 at the time. So towards the end of his career, he had 39 caps. Currently in the squad we have right now, there are eight players with more than 30 caps. And if you extend that down into the into the teens, there's about 11, 12, 13 players with like more than 10 caps. You know, you've got Andy Robertson at 62, McGinn at 54, McGregor 51. I mean, these guys have played together for so long. They're so experienced and that's why they're so good together. And hopefully still have another campaign or two in them. You know, watch McGregor's 29 or 30 now, McGinn's 28, Andy Robertson's 29, Keaton Tierney only 26, Porteous is early 20s rather than mid-20s probably, isn't he? Um, yep. Hanley's one of the elder statesmen at 31, maybe even just 32. So yeah, yep. um, hopefully uh, plenty more football to come uh, for these guys in positive qualification way. Um, I was just about to pull something up there. Yes, yeah, I put a tweet out from the Hamden Road podcast last night saying that Keaton Tierney's assist whether it actually goes down as his or not on the actual stat sheet because of the attempted Spanish clearance irrelevant in my eyes uh, that is one of the best assists I've ever seen from a Scotland player Alan do any others immediately spring to mind for you? Um, hard pressed uh, no nah, obviously my memory's gone I've, my, my whole life is this um, a Spain game the amount of uh, media I've consumed over the last 24 23 hours is unreal um, I mean um, yeah I mean Tierney Tierney's lung busting run yeah, and obviously the clips that have come out of Carvajal's face when he realises he can't do anything about it uh, mm-hmm. 
And I think it's also important to like if you watch. I mean, obviously Tierney was absolutely phenomenal and pivotal on that goal coming about. But McTominay's run. Um, I was watching it back earlier when when Tierney's at the byline and McTominay's still about twenty five yards out. He only has to adjust his stride ever so slightly to like move towards that ball like a magnet, um, and then just strike it in um, through the legs. So uh, it was incredible. But you go back to talk about what you were saying about leaders and this mentality in the squad, and you've got guys like McTominay who spoke about in his interview how Clark spoke to him before these games and mentioned how you like to see him play with a smile on his face. He's come out. He's got four goals. And you've got Tierney, who's not playing. Um, you've obviously got young guys like Porteous, your leaders at, at Hibs, and he's he's to went, to the, went to the championship, and he's got his own story of being the bad boy of Scottish football. Um, everyone's got a backstory, um, and everyone's sort of using that to put in these steely performances against big nations uh, and coming together. Um, it's, it's, we've got a group of every single player in that squad is a leader or a leader in, in waiting, um, and anyone could be captain. Um, and it's uh, there's a really special time, and when you guys, when you've got your guys like McTominay, who's not playing for Man United, coming and putting these types of performances in, um, and you've seen articles come out today of Man United fans saying, "Oh, why? Like, we don't need to sell this guy. Um, we, we can we can readjust his position and get more out of him." Um, think of what that must do to the likes of Billy Gilmore. Um, think of the sort of competitive side of Kieran Tierney. These guys aren't getting the minutes they want. But they're all in it together and they're seeing the reaction they're getting from each other mm. and they're rising to, to better and better levels. Um, we've got such a good squad here of people as well as players. Um, Gordon, really blessed. Gordon, Scott McTominay is currently second top of the Euro 2024 qualifying scoring charts. That's uh, thanks to a tweet that you put out last <laughs> night, Alan, on Air Force One. So McTominay has four alongside Ronaldo. He's one behind Rasmus Hoyland from Denmark who made his debut in this campaign and has got five goals and two caps. Sensational. Um, but McTominay, Gordon, when you think about it, yes, he, he didn't play two um, full games though. So he, he's come off the bench with, what, about 15 to go maybe against Cyprus? I can't remember exactly. Yeah. So he's, he's scored two goals in the last five minutes of the game and then scored two goals in 50 minutes uh, against Spain. So he's scored four goals in about an hour of actual football. Where, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. I think to pick up on what, what, what Alan was saying there about the, the second goal, there's two aspects of that second goal that I love so much because like Alan, I have been just hungrily, voraciously consuming content over the last 24 hours. And watching the highlights back, the thing I love the most is that that cross comes in from Kieran Tierney. Ball goes up in the air from the defender I'm pretty sure the ball is up in the air. Scott McTominay is still not even in the camera shot and he is just, he hairs through the middle and just hits it so perfectly on the half volley. And again, someone some, someone pointed out, um, because I was actually lucky, I was lucky enough that when, as Tierney started flying down the wing, I was able to just whip my phone out and start it filming on video. So I caught on video the goal and I posted that on Twitter last night and someone pointed out, it's such a beautiful sign that you see the three subs who've been warming up on the pit, on the side of the pitch for Scotland, bouncing about and celebrating with the guys as the goal gets scored, and that again is a sign of a really, really, really good team. And the one final point on the on on the second goal is that yes, this may not be a vintage Spain side, but that was five times Champions League winner Carvajal trying to cynically wipe out Kieran Tierney and failing miserably. So yeah. you know they were all right. Can can I jump in on Tommy for one second? Um, so. Can- Tifo Football put out a, a really good uh, JJ build and a, a bit on the tactics and how Scotland set up. Um, it's on YouTube. It was really good. But in the comments section, someone mentioned 
um, a session that Ten Hag put on. Um, when the Queen passed away, they did additional training sessions and he did a, a week foot session at Man United. Um, and all the players took part, um, a few um, like Fernandez specifically, but McTominay took part in that. And, and of his last four goals, McTominay's right footed. And of his last four goals for Scotland, he scored three with his left foot. Um, <laughs> Uh, he scored 11 Premier League goals, um, seven of them with his right foot, three with his left and one header. Um, so he's predominantly, he, he scores his goal with the right foot and three of his last four Scotland goals have been with his left after these sessions. Um, so I don't know if they're linked to that. Um, wow. But he, he's really he's really timed his runs into the box well, John. The the one to latch on to the Dykes knockdown was, was good, but the, the other ones have all involved just ghosting in to be there when it matters, or just appearing from nowhere, as, as Gordon says. And that's something that he'll have worked on, you know, these things that happen um, by accident, you know, he'll have um, studied the game and how it went to time, time his run, and um, he's also saw the opportunities. And say the first goal, there's a wee bit of a, um, there's, well, there's a big bit of deflection, it's not the best hit shot, but he's got a target, you've got a chance of scoring, but I mean, that second goal is just that... Um, it might not be in the bracket of a McFadden or an Archie game or anything like that, but that will still be replayed for, for years. Just the technique, the way he's kept that ball down. Because when the ball's coming down like that, it's so difficult um, to get under control and get it on target. He's kept it down low and um, managed to get through legs and through Kepa. It was terrific. Well, I think that'll do us for the evening. We're, we're running out of time here, but what a night at Hamden. It was probably... Well, actually, I missed the I missed the Denmark game. So, where would you guys rank it, John uh, and Gordon? In terms of in terms of Scotland, Scotland the, wins. De- I've seen Scot- so Denmark game at, ho- at home. The, the, the last time that we we pulled off a a, a shock. Uh, no, I, I think I think I think this this is this is far far better. Uh, simply simply because that Denmark game was an odd odd atmosphere for both teams because we already had the playoff in the bag and they'd already won the group so actually there was really nothing for either team to really mm. concern themselves with competitively this completely different circumstance early in the group so I think this is head and shoulders above oh, well, this, this is an easy number our... oh, sorry John on you go I was just going to say that's an easy number one for me um, and I've been obviously I'm a good bit older than you see um, <clears throat> but yeah, even I've got to put this as number one and j- just the added fact that um, my boy was a mascot as well just talked to us. <laughs> Well, we'll see what happens in June. We have Norway away. A win there would be simply unbelievable. Followed by Georgia at home, our old foes. There will be a narrative going into that one. It's important that we we try and quash it uh, heading into the second game. And then we'll see what happens into next season, provided we can come out of the June matches with a fairly favourable outcome and keep the group or at least first or second place in our hands. So, John, Gordon, Alan, thanks very much for joining me and hopefully we'll have more of these throughout the campaign thanks guys pleasure guys thanks Sports Social Podcast Network